0: Yeah, Don uh, wasn't feeling well this weekend, and so I'm pinch-hitting today, so appreciate you uh, staying in the room. I I understand the children walking out, but uh, I pray that you will not. You get used to having Don here and do a a switcheroo. Anyway, so glad you're here. Well, you know, I'm starting a brand new discipleship class on Wednesday night at 6.15. It's uh, the 21 Laws of Discipleship, and so... Uh, as I thought of discipleship, I thought obedience has a lot of, to do with being a good disciple. And so I got to thinking about some lessons we can learn from Pharaoh. <laughs> so he's going to be our role model today of what not to do. And so I, I'm going to share with you uh, some creative ways to disobey God. All right, I know you want to take notes because you'll want to remember these, all right? Well, um, I think about uh, the, the situation when it comes to discipleship. I mean, there is an element that there are all these demands that Jesus apparently has in the New Testament, in the Gospels, of what he says that we should do and how we should live our lives. Paul reiterates a lot of that through the letters that he gives to the churches. But a lot of it is has a lot to do with obedience and so that's why i wanted to uh, to address this this uh, topic you know i think even as children we often look for ways to be disobedient right children do that all the time uh, if they would just obey what mom and dad says it seemed like life would be so much simpler but uh, they look for ways to be disobedient and they do it well but it's our job to bring our, these children up in the way of the Lord. So um, anyway, but I think sometimes it's the same with, with God. We, we, we try to look at the bottom line, what's the minimum I can do, and still be okay with Jesus. and so. But we want to make sure that we're all in. And so that's why I was going to share some of these with you. Those are all the passages that we're actually going to look at today. But uh, I do know we have communion toward the end, and so I am going to, uh, to end this. I don't have the clock in front of me anymore. I have to look at my watch now. The, uh, these, these are going to be various ways that we can disobey God. And so the first one, it comes out of uh, Exodus chapter 8, and I call it postponed obedience. It's postponed because basically we put off obeying God until some later date. I think we certainly understand that. You know, when we look at the Exodus story in chapter 8, you know, water into blood, well that didn't work, letting the people go. So here comes plague number 2. Frogs are everywhere. Verse 3 says they're in your house, your bedroom, your beds, houses of your servants, on your people, in your ovens, in your kneading bowls. I mean they were covering the land of Egypt. And then you get to chapter 8 verse 7 and we discover that the magicians... Do the same thing and bring more frogs. If I was Pharaoh, I would have fired them. Wouldn't it have been a greater thing for them to make the frogs disappear? But no, they create some more frogs. Totally don't understand why they did that. Other than they say, oh, it was a trick that Moses did. And they did the same trick. But basically, it's more of the same. It's status quo. We're just going to do what's already here. Status quo. Then Moses' response is, he basically empowers the Pharaoh to to make the call. He says, um, when Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron, he says, Entreat the Lord that they may take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let your people go, that they may sacrifice to the Lord. And this is what Moses said in verse 9. Accept the honor of saying, When shall I intercede for and destroy the frogs from you and your houses, that they remain only in the river. You see what's happening here? Pharaoh has the order to say, when do you want these frogs gone? Right? Now, you know, you know what you would say. Yesterday is now too soon. Just let's get rid of them now. But we look here in verse 10, it says, this was, is this was Pharaoh's response. Tomorrow. I want the frogs gone tomorrow. And I'm thinking, that is the weirdest thing. I cannot figure that out. Why does he want the frogs gone tomorrow when they're in the ovens and kneading bowls, for goodness sake? I'd want them gone like now. So I never really understood that. But when we look at a lesson from Pharaoh, he is putting off something that he knows he needs to do. Postponed obedience. I'll let the people go tomorrow. I want the frogs gone tomorrow. And so it's procrastination, flat-out procrastination. And so knowing what to do and waiting until some other day, it really is the same as disobedience. If God calls you to do something and you decide to delay that, you are in disobedience until it gets done. And so sometimes that's what we do. We postpone our obedience. It's just making... Our decision for later on we remember doing that with our kids you're gonna do this yeah I'm gonna do it later and then you just wait and you wait and you wait you might as well just told us no I'm not gonna do it because that's really what's happening so postponed obedience is not an example that we need to uh, to have in our lives all right the second one is in chapter 8 verse 25 and I call it practical obedience because what's happening here is that Pharaoh is going to let them go but he says I want you to stay within the land okay it's it, it, it for a practical reason no one you know he doesn't want him to leave and not come back but he wants to keep them in the land so let's say this is like some of the practical things that maybe Pharaoh was thinking well you know there are all kinds of dangers outside of Egypt if you stay within the land I can protect you see that's very practical there's beasts out there there's other nations out there but if you stay within the land I'll protect you very practical and then you might have well logistical problems now you how many people are gonna be going out here you're gonna corral all these people out there maybe those logistical problems are not very practical why don't you just stay within the land and everything will be okay and then, and then you find out, well, there's going to be old people on this trip. And then there's going to be infants on this trip. You know, what kind of... I care about your people. You can't take old people and infants that far out. You need to stay within the land. It's just practical. Moses is being unreasonable. That's all I can figure the way that Pharaoh was thinking. You know, it is another example of... Um, Doing things practically, I I think about King Saul on the eve of battle. Samuel is delayed, and the men are getting anxious. Hey, Samuel's not here to do the sacrifice, and we can't go into battle without God's blessing, and we're freaking out here. And so Saul says, hey, I'm losing the men. I'll do the sacrifice. It's the practical thing to do let me do the sacrifice I know I've seen it done hundreds of times I can do the sacrifice keep the men in line everything will be good it did not turn out well (laughs) because Samuel actually tells Saul to obey is better than sacrifice and you usurped some authority and power and a responsibility that was not yours But he also says it when, when he was supposed to uh, destroy the uh, Amalekites, King Agag. He's supposed to destroy the whole nation. I know it's kind of rough, but that, that's Old Testament for you right there. It was rough. But then Samuel comes up and says, you know, he was going to destroy everything. All the people, all the animals, everything. And, and Samuel walks up and says, what's that bleeding of sheep that I hear? Oh, yeah, well, you know, we were going to keep some of those sheep. No, you're supposed to destroy everything. Well, we're going to keep these sheep for the sacrifices to God. This is practical. All these animals, right? We can keep them. And you didn't kill the king. You were supposed to kill the king. Now, Agag and his descendants are going to give grief to the Jews all the way to the book of Esther where their extermination is all but sealed. Because he was of the line of Agag, this Haman that was going to destroy all the Jews. So do what you're supposed to do first. Don't don't just say, oh, there's some practical things that I need to do. And uh, doing what is practical may be nothing more than just disobedience. All right? Obedience may not be doing what is practical but obedience is doing the will of God. Sometimes we don't know exactly why God is asking us to do something, but if we step out in faith, walk by faith and not by sight, and so that's that's what we need to try to do. Don't just look at do and do what's practical. When I went to Africa, that wasn't practical, but it was God's calling on my life. The third one is found in verse twenty-eight. And I would call this partial obedience. Uh, You go just so far, and that's good enough. Just so far, and that's good enough. Now, in verse 27 of chapter 8, we're going to have to go three days into the wilderness. Pharaoh's thinking, three days? That's a long way. Can't we do a little closer? He says, I will let you go. Just don't go far away in verse 28. Just don't go far away. And then Moses says, it's not good enough. And he sends this plague of flies. He says, we're supposed to go three days journey out there. So what God has called you to do, and then you tell him, yes, but then you only go so far and no more, I would call that partial obedience. And so let's put it into some practical ways. Um, I'll give to your kingdom, God, I'll give to kingdom work, but I'm not going to give sacrificially because I'm only going to go so far. See how that works in, a, in, in real life. I'll, I'll go to a Sunday school class, but I won't teach one. I, I'll go so far, but no farther than that. I'll hand out bulletins on Sunday as people come into worship, but I won't hand out meals at the homeless shelter. I'll go so far and no more I'll teach an adult class but I don't want to teach children <laughs> you know I'll go so far and no more I'll pray for missions but I'm not going to give to missions or maybe I'll give to missions but don't expect me to go on a mission trip I'll go so far and no farther I'll invite people to church, but I don't really feel comfortable sharing my faith. I'll go so far, but no more. I'll sing in the congregation, but I won't sing in the choir. That's going too far. See what I'm saying? So sometimes partial obedience, we tell God we'll only go so far, and that's it. We won't go any farther than that. And so you have to ask ourselves a very personal question. How do you define where to draw the line when it comes to God asking you to do something? Where do you draw the line? To obey or to not obey? All right, the next one comes out of chapter 9, and this is in verses 34 and 35. I call this pivotal obedience. I, I played basketball back in the day, and... And when you plant your foot, you can pivot all the way around 360 degrees, but you can't pick up that foot. And this is what Pharaoh is doing. He's pivoting, right? And so, basically, I surrender all, and then I change my mind, and I take it all back. (laughs) How many times have we done that? You know, I remember singing that song, I Surrender All. Did I really mean that, you know, or is that just a song I was singing? So basically in chapter 9, hail's coming down until Pharaoh admitted that his people were the wicked ones. He admits that in verse 27. And now Pharaoh was in a tough spot. He says, pray to the Lord for the hail to stop and I'll let your people go. That's in verse 28. And then Moses said he would stop the hail as soon as he was out of the city. Verse 29. And then the thunder and hail stopped and Pharaoh changed his mind in 34 and 35. How many times has this happened in our own lives? Right? This happens in our own life. I forgot a test today. God, but if you help me pass this test, I'll do anything you want. Uh, we're, in a, we're in a bind here. I, I, God, you've got to come through. What about we promise God all sorts of things? If I can only get that promotion at work, then I'll start tithing. You know, we make a bargain with God. I'll be more faithful in church attendance. If I get that promotion, I'll even serve on a few committees, if they ask me. Pivotal. And I say pivotal because we make a vow, like praying for a family member who's ill. We make all kinds of vows to God. If you'll just heal my family member, I'll do this for you, God. Quid pro quo. Sometimes we just say, please God, get me out of this meth, mess and I will serve you faithfully. Just get me out of this mess. And I'm reminded of that theological masterpiece movie from 30 years ago, Beauty and the Beast. And the clock is talking about how you pursue a woman. How the beast is going to pursue Bell. And he's naming all this stuff, and he throws in that phrase, making promises you never intend to keep. Man, how many times do we do that? We make all kinds of promises to God, but do we intend to keep them? And so we don't want to exercise pivotal obedience. And so if you think about it, this method of disobedience is basically lying to God. We're making promises we don't intend to keep. Uh, the next one I want to share with you is from Exodus chapter 10. Uh, really in verse 10, uh, I call this parental obedience. The men and the parents may go and serve the Lord, but don't take the children. Okay? Le- leave those in the land and let the adults go out there. So sometime after Pharaoh uh, goes back on his offer to let them go, Moses asked, or, you know, Moses is asked, uh, who are the ones that are going in chapter 10 verse 8? He says, well, our young and our old, our sons, our daughters, our flocks, our herds. That's verse 9. And Pharaoh said in verse 11, only take the men. Only take the men. But God wants all of us involved in what he's doing. He's, he's taking all of them out of Egypt, not just the men. So that was Pharaoh's first law. But put it in our own context. God wants all of us involved in his mission. We think it's just for a select few. At times we really believe that. But it's not just for men. We're all called to salvation and we're all called to service. It's not just for women. So often men feel that Christians follow this wimpy Jesus that's always talking about love and forgiving your enemies and you know, doing good things for your neighbor. You know, it's like this wimpy Jesus. And we, we forget the fact that, that he was a skilled craftsman. He was a carpenter. He had strong morals and stood up for them in the midst of a, of a dangerous crowd. He had firm convictions. He had strong social skills. Men wanted to follow Jesus back in the day. And they were willing to go to their own death because of the transformation of their lives that Jesus had transformed them. They gave their their lives for his mission. You know, children and students, they may very well say that Christian service is uh, for my parents, not for me. It's for the adults. I'm too busy being a kid. It's not for me. I've got too much to do right now. I'll serve God later when I have more time. I think we've all used that one before, right? We can serve later when we have more time. It just never seems to work that way. But sometimes we think about teenagers don't think they're qualified to do stuff. But then I'm reminded Jeremiah called while he was a youth to change the nation, to change the direction of the nation, to be the spokesperson for God. And then Paul instructs Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He said, let no one look down on your youthfulness. Everybody has a part in his kingdom mission. So when we think about kingdom work, it is for all of us. It's not just for the parents. It's not just for the adults. And so it's not parental. I I don't have to serve and do things because my mom and dad are the ones that are members of the church. I'll, I'm just in the household. I'm, I'm getting in by their coattails. And that's not the way it works either. All right, the last one I want to mention, uh, let me check my clock, uh, is, is chapter 10, verse 17. And I call this phony obedience, phony. Uh, sort of like going to church with no real conviction. It gives us a false sense of security. know there's no real conviction we just go to church because it's expected of us or my family wants me to be here now after the locusts Pharaoh had enough he declares to Moses and Aaron he finally says I have sinned against God and against you all Chapter 10 verse 16 he begs for forgiveness and he says just this once he begs for forgiveness He, he begs for their prayers and to remove this death from him in verse 17 And Pharaoh makes some sort of phony confession with the intent, really, of not following through. Because by the time you get to chapter 10, verse 20, he hardens his own heart. Hardens his own heart. I'm not going to follow through on what I said. I just said that. But he had no intention of following through. So basically, it may look good on the outside, but God is not fooled by such Phony foolishness. He's, he, we're not fooling God with, with, with phony obedience. It's kind of like a, a youth wants to date a Christian girl, so he makes a confession of faith and tells her that he's a believer. It's phony. He's doing it for a, an ulterior reason. Maybe a woman doesn't want to lose her potential fiancé, so she attends church with him. And it's just being a part of the crowd and being there. Prisoner before his parole board claims, now he's a believer. So I should get the parole because I'm a believer now. We don't know. So there's all kinds of things. The husband has a brush, brush with death. And he vows to be in church from now on. You know, we make these promises. And sometimes we, at the very beginning, don't intend to follow through on those at all. But this is what Jesus said. And Don mentioned this in uh, the Sermon on the Mount series. A tree is known by its fruit. A tree is known by its fruit. John 14 says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's all about obedience. And then he says at the very end of Matthew 7, not everyone who calls to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Even though they were working miracles and doing all kinds of things that look good on the outside, at the very end of that conversation are the scariest words I read in Scripture. Depart from me, I never knew you. The sad part is, is these people thought that they and Jesus were buddies. That they were together, that they did it like they were supposed to. But for some reason, he never knew them. Scary words to say the least so when we think about what Samuel said to to Saul to obey is better than sacrifice obedience is a very serious thing I love the theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer he said a call to come to Christ is a call to come and die you're dying to self Those kind of messages are not really good to put on the recruitment poster. You know, who's going to sign up when they read Bonhoeffer's words? You know, I don't know if I want to get into this or not. You know, call to come and die. I don't know if I want to do that. It may not be a popular message, but Jesus is the Lord and he is to be obeyed. And he may very well say to us at some point in our lives, depart from me, I never knew you. Don't let that be you. And so think through this list of ways to disobey God and see if any of them appear to be familiar. And then deal with God about that. If you need counsel, by all means, let me know. Because I know a good counselor. (laughs) No, but I'll talk to anybody about uh, their spiritual condition. So I'd I'd welcome that. Uh, In Exodus, we are looking at a couple of chapters before the children of Israel are about to be released. And uh, it's the, the night of the Passover. And Jesus, when he came to the table, it was set for Passover. And so we're tying these two stories together. The deliverance of the Jews from Egypt but also our deliverance as people who are delivered from the bondage of sin and so I'd like to read just one passage of scripture. It's first Corinthians 11 you've all heard this passage before but I'd like to read this before we partake of the Lord's Supper for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes and so we think about this as just a ceremony that we do on the first Sunday of every month while it is ceremonial it has a sign that we physically do but it has so much significance this is the significance that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and it's because of this night with his closest men having this Lord's Supper, instituting this to do this in remembrance of him, to remember his coming, to remember his sacrifice, to remember the reason that he died on the cross, and knowing that he's in three days he's going to raise from the dead. That is the God that we follow. And so that last verse I read, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. This is our message to the world. When we do this and they say, that is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. What is that all about? That is the message of the gospel. And so for lack of any other explanation, it's the gospel. And so we come here to partake of of the gospel, of the Lord's Supper together. And, uh, and so I'm going to pray for us. Our deacons are going to come forward and uh, and we'll serve uh, the elements. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we just love you so very much. And we come before you just thanking you for the opportunity to share in this community experience together. Father, we pray for these elements that while there's nothing magical, we do know that it is meaningful. Father, we pray that you will help us to to experience Jesus perhaps in a fresh way father we love you so very much we thank you for the sacrifice so as we share these elements Lord we just ask you to bless them and we'll take these together in just a moment and we pray all this in Jesus name amen as we look at the bread it's so simple it's a basic staple of life in our culture but it's so filled with meaning because of what it represents it represents the body of christ and so as we take this remember his coming remember all that he went through during that time when he walked this earth for three years and just remember what he had done and he had done all of this because of his love for us and his desire to see reconciliation of sinful humanity with a holy god and so let's take this together in remembrance of him this juice represents the shed blood of Christ the sacrifice the blood that was spilled on the cross for our salvation and so as we take this we remember the sacrifice that bought our salvation and so let's take this together in remembrance of him father you are such a gracious God we love you beyond measure. I pray that our, our minds and our hearts are united when it comes to the words that we say, that, that we do love you more than anything else, that we desire you above anything else. Father, help us to always remember and realize how much we need you and how much we need one another That the community of faith is how the church operates. That we're in this together, that there's strength in numbers, there's safety in numbers, there's security in numbers. And we encourage one another as we get together. We encourage one another towards love and good deeds and holiness. Father, help us to be the people that you desire for us to be in this lost and dying world around us. Father, thank you for the opportunities that are ours to put in a good word for Jesus and we pray that you will keep our eyes open this week that we can have another opportunity to say something about the God that we follow. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.